Hello, my name is Julia, and this is the Media Podcast, where I talk about medicine in the context of media. Today, we will be talking about a condition that is actually quite rare, but recently, more people have been diagnosing themselves with this condition based on TikTok. This is a condition that one of my personal favorite artists has actually been affected by. This might be more of a niche reference than most on here, but it's it's a good one. Before we get into this specific disorder, I just want to add some context to what we're seeing here. I have many friends in my personal life who are constantly diagnosing themselves with mental illness based on TikToks, pretty much exclusively from my friends. This is ADHD, anxiety, OCD, and depression. These are terms we might all be familiar with, and these are often disorders that are characterized by things that can be normal personality traits. So like being hyperactive, being anxious, being quote unquote obsessive, feeling depressed. But in the case of these disorders, for it to truly be a mental illness, these characteristics are essentially heightened to the point of dysfunction. And I can talk about any of these in more depth in future episodes, but being anxious on occasion if things are stressful, if you have exams coming up, if you're applying to a new job, if you're going on a date, anxiety can be totally normal. If generally you're a little bit more of an anxious person, you tend to worry and think about, you know, what could go wrong. That might just be your disposition and that also can be totally normal. Sometimes that's just part of your personality and it doesn't interfere with your day-to-day life and it even lends itself to some productive aspects of your personality. You also can be anxious to the point where it is debilitating or it affects your ability to live your day-to-day life and it impairs your functioning and that is what anxiety disorder looks like. Of course, the severity of this impairment varies between everybody who's affected, but you can have anxiety when it's appropriate. You can generally be just a little bit of a worrywart and you might have these traits without having anxiety disorder. The same can be said for feeling down, being hyper, being neat and organized. These are normal personality traits, but if these are just kind of parts of who you are, but they don't actually cause disordered behavior or impairment in your functioning, then you don't warrant necessarily a clinical diagnosis with a mental illness. These diagnoses can all be very severe and can very much affect someone's quality of life. But the way that we tend to kind of use these terms in day-to-day language, on social media, in real life, you hear it all the time in conversation. I think a lot of people falsely kind of just think of it as all one thing, but actual mental illness and then just feeling these feelings in general are not the same thing. And I hope that makes sense. It becomes very dicey on social media because of just the brevity of TikToks or infographic posts on Instagram or tweets or things like that. Because on social media, they, like I kind of described, may be pathologizing normal traits or even just normal feelings. So taking normal 
everyday person experiences and saying that it means you have a disease. Or they might take random qualities and say, if you do this, you probably have X disorder. So to continue to use anxiety as an example, I have seen a TikTok of people saying people with anxiety rewatch shows. I've had a lot of people tell me this because that they've seen it on TikTok and they have said because they rewatch shows, they have anxiety. I like to rewatch shows. People are like, you know, that's a trait of anxiety. I rewatch the same like four shows all the time because I like those shows and sometimes they're comforting and sometimes you're tired and you don't have the bandwidth to pay attention to a new show and follow the plot and learn the new characters and you just want to rewatch a show. So things like this example, just these little quirks might be a trait of mental illness if you have all the other criteria and you also rewatch shows. Sure, maybe there's a relationship there, but it also can just be a totally normal part of who you are. Man, it's easy to see TikToks of people normalizing these things and maybe seeing someone saying something as simple as like, if you misplace your keys, you have ADHD and thinking, oh no, like I misplaced my keys. Like, do I need help? Maybe you do, but maybe you're just a little scatterbrained, which is not a terrible thing that you need to be medicated for. Or maybe you just get distracted sometimes and that's normal. And this whole experience of kind of learning about these conditions and thinking about how they apply to you is also totally normal. When I was in medical school, I know me personally and a lot of my peers would see different pathologies described, especially when we were on our psychiatry rotation, so different mental illnesses. And we'd stop and think, is this describing me? Do I have this? This feels familiar. So it's easy to see how people could see content like this online and extrapolate that they have a diagnosis, especially when a TikToker is looking right at the camera and saying, do you do this? You probably have this disorder, especially when they're using terms that now we're super familiar with and that have been very much normalized in recent years. And so I also, of course, want to add that some people may accurately self-diagnose based on social media. Sharing and educating can be very helpful. And some people might see information that resonates with them and it might be true. They might actually figure out that they have a certain diagnosis because of what they see on social media. And TikToks are great for things like that. But I think that is very much the minority of people who are self-diagnosing based on TikToks they're seeing. So with all of that said, what surprised me recently is the increase in people talking about depersonalization, derealization disorder on social media and people self-diagnosing with this condition and seeking medical attention for it. This was really surprising to me because this is a condition that is much less common it's not as well understood in general, and it's thought to have a lot of predisposing factors that make it very unlikely to be affecting all the people who think they're affected based on social media. So I'm going to define this condition briefly as an overview in case you're not familiar with it to provide some context moving forward, and then I will get into our little celebrity case study, and then I will explain depersonalization, derealization disorder, in more details, talking about what it is, what is thought to influence it, and how it can be treated. So, in case you are not familiar with depersonalization, derealization disorder, this is characterized by the persistence or recurrence of depersonalization or derealization, 
that causes clinically significant distress or impairment in the presence of intact reality testing. So let's dissect this definition. Depersonalization. This is a feeling of detachment from yourself. So an individual experiencing depersonalization might report that they feel like an automaton or that they're living in a dream or they're watching themselves in a movie. These people might feel like they're disconnected from their mind or their body and they feel like an observer of themselves. And they usually report that they don't feel like they have any control over their thoughts, their perceptions, or their actions. Derealization is the sense of detachment from the world around you. So depersonalization is feeling detached from yourself. Derealization is feeling detached from your environment. So like you're walking through a dream or like your surroundings are not real or concrete and there might be some visual distortion. And so to go back to the definition, it's persistent or recurrent symptoms of depersonalization or derealization. So persistence means they cannot stop and recurrence means they keep coming back. So either you're having these experiences all the time or you continue to have these experiences recurring and it's causing significant distress or impairment. So you are very troubled by these experiences or you cannot function normally because of them in the presence of intact reality testing. So that means you have an understanding of the real world. It's what kind of differentiates this from psychosis. So the themes of depersonalization, derealization that I kind of mentioned are used a lot by the artist I'm about to discuss in his music. And so listening to his music through this lens is really, really interesting and a really cool way to better understand this condition. So you guys are probably itching to know who my favorite artist is that has this condition. The man of the hour is Counting Crows frontman Adam Duritz. I freaking love the Counting Crows. I've seen them in concert like five, six times. There was a period of like multiple years where I would go with my dad plus minus my siblings if they were available every summer when the County Crows would tour. So we saw them like multiple years in a row. My gosh, if I've seen them five or six times, my dad has probably seen them at least a dozen times, probably more. But you may be familiar with them from songs like Mr. Jones. People of my generation may be more familiar with their work accidentally in love as featured on the shrek soundtrack which is a banger i will say it actually is a bit ironic because one of my problems and a lot of people's issue with the representation of mental illness on social media is that they feel like they're romanticizing mental illness quite a bit and while i do think that's true Lots of media sources romanticize mental illness. It is not exclusive to TikTok, a lot of TV shows, movies, and specifically music, The Counting Crows. I listened to a podcast actually years ago now, but I still remember this line the host said because I thought it was so funny, but so true at the time. But I listened to this podcast years ago, the podcast Bandsplain, which just talks about like the history of lots of different successful bands. She does an episode on the Counting Crows and she goes, Counting Crows taught me that to be beautiful is to be mentally ill. 
And again, like, I thought that was so funny because this was, I grew up listening to this band. I listened to them a ton in high school. And like, I don't think that he necessarily romanticizes his depersonalization, derealization disorder. But a lot of the women in the songs are like these beautiful, magnificent, unattainable women that are like mentally unwell. And so unfortunately, a lot of us have that in our heads from like, movies and tv shows and music and then it's i mean i think that definitely influenced my perception of what's attractive to men and i think that's the case for a lot of people and when i say that i refer to like high school me not me now so while that is a problem on social media i do want to say it is not it is not a social media problem it's everywhere anyways to get back on track adam Duritz wrote an article for Men's Health in 2008 to talk about his experience with depersonalization, derealization disorder. Um, like I said, you can really hear the themes in his music. So he definitely was experiencing it, expressing it, but he didn't really talk explicitly about this diagnosis that I could find prior to 2008. And I'll link the essay below in case you want to read it too. But first, let's talk about it. So Adam Duritz wrote again this article for Men's Health Magazine in 2008, and he titled this article, The Lonely Disease. He kind of talks about when he almost hit rock bottom with this this disease, like when his grandmother passed away, who he was really close with, and his first reaction wasn't to like go be there for the funeral and be there with his family. I think that was kind of a wake-up call for him for how sort of disconnected he was from his life and the world around him and he said he felt like he lost touch with reality before getting into the diagnosis said that he has and this is a quote a fairly severe mental illness that makes it hard to do my job in fact makes me totally ill-suited for my job i have a form of dissociative disorder that makes the world seem like it's not real as if things aren't taking place it's hard to explain but you feel untethered and because nothing seems real it's hard to connect with the world or the people in it because they're not there you're not there. That's why I rarely saw my family back then. It's hard to care when everything feels as if it's taking place in your imagination. If you're distant with people, especially women you're romantically involved with, they eventually leave. So I think he describes it here really beautifully. I think this really kind of explains how much it really can affect your relationships with other people. Like I said, part of the diagnosis is that you're having these symptoms and it is debilitating and affects your life and here he does a really good job I think at explaining how because just saying like things don't feel real it feels like imaginary that doesn't mean much but when he says that because of that he couldn't connect with people or see them or prioritize them or feel like he was living on the same planet as them I think that does a really good job at kind of explaining how these symptoms can affect you He starts to blame himself for how severe this condition was because he says that he took so long to deal with it that it just kind of accumulated. And I thought this was really interesting, too, because it really kind of shows that mental health is like any other types of illness. Like if you have atherosclerosis or plaques in your blood vessels, if you address it, so if you, you know, try to lower your cholesterol and things like that, it'll get better much sooner. If you ignore that and you don't take medication or you don't exercise or eat well or whatever it is, the plaque literally builds up and builds up and builds up until it blocks the vessel and 
occludes blood flow to your heart. So that's maybe a dramatic comparison. But I think just when he talked about how this like festers and accumulates the longer you don't get treatment, when you don't prevent certain illnesses and then you don't address them early and you don't seek help, then they just build and build and build until there's no nothing else. He talked about how the condition ruined a lot of his relationships. And then when he started medication, when he realized he needed help, the medication affected his life in other ways that made it so much harder to live with. He said he felt even more like he was living in a daze. He gained 70 pounds. He wasn't able to make memories in the way that he used to be able to. He said he felt narcoleptic and insensible. He says that the album Saturday Nights and Sunday Mornings is a double album that came out of his battle with this condition. He said, everything I went through is in there. The first part, Saturday nights, is vicious and loud. Sunday mornings is quieter the day after. Well, I think you can really get a sense of this when you hear it, but Saturday nights, like you said, is vicious and loud, and it kind of just shows you the, pretty much like the chaos you feel in your mind when like you don't feel like you have a grasp on reality. And then Sunday morning, when he says it's the day after, that for him was after he found a new doctor, began taking different medications that turned out to be the right medications. He got his symptoms under control and like felt like he could breathe again he ends this by saying the thing for me was to make a real mark in life to matter to be here to exist and dissociation makes you feel like you don't exist how do you make your mark if you're not even there if you're invisible and again i think this really says how this condition can be so debilitating you feel like you're not real you feel like you only exist in a dream or that you don't exist to other people, or they don't exist to you. So you can see how distressing that could be. And after that, he goes on to say, since getting the right treatment, since that uh, Sunday morning, mo day after feeling, he talks about the things he's accomplished, and what a good place he's in currently, and his goals for the future in terms of relationships and family. And yeah, it's a definitely, it's a short article worth reading. I mean, I pulled a lot of my favorite quotes and read them to you just now but yeah I think he does a really beautiful job describing what the condition feels like and how it affects him and again I, I also think he exemplifies it really beautifully in his music so you could check out that double album or I mean anything else they have a lot of music they've been around for a long time but now that we've spoken about Adam Duritz hopefully that gave you kind of a better idea about this condition but now let's dive a little deeper into depersonalization, derealization disorder. So I already defined it and it's characterized obviously by depersonalization and derealization. Now, the reason a lot of people are self-diagnosing this is because transient experiences of depersonalization or derealization are very common. There was a study that surveyed U.S. college students and half of the respondents reported experiencing an episode of depersonalization in the last year. So that feeling of feeling like you're in a dream, feeling disconnected, feeling like you're not in control of your thoughts or being outside of your body, that is normal. And I think people represent that on social media and people see it and they feel it and they think, I do that, so I have this, but that's not the case because it like I said, it's not recurrent, it's not persistent, it's not debilitating just because you have these experiences. Like what I saw in the TikToks I saw was like, have you ever spaced out and daydreamed during class? You may have depersonalization, derealization disorder. And I hope that 
from what I said already, you already know that that is simply not true. That is not what this disorder is, is spacing out from time to time. So now just to really drill it in and go over it. And so everyone is kind of on the same page about how this is diagnosed. I'm just going to go over the diagnostic criteria based on the DSM or Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorder. So this is what psychiatrists use universally to outline diagnostic criteria for all mental illnesses. And so the DSM criteria for depersonalization derealization disorder is A, the presence of persistent and recurrent experiences of depersonalization, derealization, or both. And then those are both, again, described as I defined earlier, so I won't get into those again, but essentially being detached from either yourself or your surroundings. B, during these experiences, reality testing remains intact. So again, differentiating this from being in a state of psychosis. C, the symptoms cause clinically significant distress or impairment in social, occupational, or other important areas of functioning. So being so stressed out about your experiences that you can't get out of bed, you can't see other people, you can't go to work, do a job, clean yourself up, keep your home stable, anything. You can't function because you are so distressed by what you're experiencing. D, the disturbance is not attributable to the physiological effects of an illicit substance, medication, or another medical condition, such as a seizure. So if you feel these symptoms of depersonalization, derealization after having a seizure or while being high on ketamine or as a side effect of an antipsychotic medication, then you don't have this disorder. And then E, the disturbance is not better explained by another mental disorder such as schizophrenia, panic disorder, major depressive disorder, acute stress disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, or another dissociative disorder. To summarize, you have depersonalization, derealization, or both. You maintain reality testing during episodes, but you do experience distress and impairment in your function, and you are not able to blame these symptoms on either another substance, medication, medical condition, or any other mental disorder. Okay, so what causes one to develop depersonalization, derealization disorder? Sorry, it's such a mouthful. The other way, you know, it's abbreviated as DDD, but like, I feel like that feels kind of weird to say, but I'll try it on next time and we'll see how it goes. So what causes one to develop DDD? Yeah, that really doesn't sound that much smoother to me. Both of them are like, just like a weird mouthful. But anyways, it is thought to be best explained by something called the diathesis stress model. And this is a psychological theory that does explain a lot of different psychiatric illnesses but basically it's saying that you have a predispositional vulnerability which is your diathesis so something about you innately predisposes you to this condition so that can be a genetic cause a personality trait something biological so so something in you makes you more likely than someone else to get this condition that is the diathesis. The stress means that some type of stress occurs 
that then triggers the onset of this condition. So having the diathesis is having some type of predisposition. It does not mean you are destined to develop the condition, but it does mean that if you and someone else without a genetic predisposition both are exposed to the same trigger, you're more likely to develop symptoms. I hope that makes sense. Let's talk about different stressors that can induce this condition. The first is trauma or severe stress. This is the the thing that is most associated with this condition. So you can acutely experience depersonalization or derealization after an acute trauma. So let's say you have some kind of life-threatening event, like you're in a terrible car accident. This is almost like a coping mechanism so that you can basically survive without being so overwhelmed by these negative emotions. So like when people talk about the death of a loved one or near-death experience or, you know, some something super traumatic, sometimes they say afterwards they're just going through the motions, they feel numb, they don't really feel like they're connected to reality. That can be attributed to depersonalization and derealization. However, having these symptoms acutely after a specific trigger without them then persisting or recurring does not mean you have this disorder. So when we talk about DDD, we're talking about chronic symptoms. So symptoms that over time either persist or recur. People who do have DDD often have experienced either a a specific traumatic event or lots of stressful situations over time. And so these stressors that are often linked with this condition include like childhood abuse or neglect. This is very highly associated with the development of DDD an unexpected death of a loved one, growing up with a seriously mental ill parent or caregiver. So again, that's like a lot of stress over a long period of time. Sexual orientation or identity conflicts when you're young, so in adolescence or young adulthood, or just serious relationship or work stressors. Other stressors that can fit into the diathesis stress model, so might make you more likely to develop the onset of these symptoms, are other psychiatric conditions, so most com- most commonly anxiety or depression. A- another stressor might be substance use disorder, so things like ketamine and cannabis might intentionally induce a state of depersonalization or dissociation, which I talk about a lot more in my ketamine episode. So those substances can trigger this as a desired effect. So like I said, if you're experiencing this when under the influence, it's not you don't have the condition. However, sometimes these can be a trigger for those DGD symptoms to continue to occur and persist over time, in which case you might fit the diagnostic criteria. So, and then salvia has also been found to precipitate chronic depersonalization, as do drugs that act on the neurotransmitter serotonin. There's also some other things that might trigger the onset of this disorder, including seizures, head injury, a brain tumor, or sleep apnea. If you already are predisposed, these might trigger the onset of symptoms. So in what this illness looks like, it is kind of hard to explain because the symptoms are so kind of funky. And like I said, they're not things we really talk about day to day. Like we do talk about symptoms of depression or anxiety or ADHD. Like we don't really talk about these experiences in the same way. So they could be really hard to explain. And understandably, patients have a lot of trouble then explaining their experiences and putting what they're feeling into words, which can make it harder for them to get help. And if people don't really have a good way to explain or understand what they're going through, they might start feeling like they're going crazy or that they will go crazy. 
and that might you know make them really fearful of being you know misunderstood or hospitalized and that also might make them more resistant to even seek help so the symptoms that people might disclose might sound a little bit more kind of vague than other obvious symptoms of other conditions so people might say that they feel dead or that everything doesn't feel real or that they don't feel like they're in control of anything or they feel like their life is a movie that they're watching and again these symptoms are extremely distressing people can present with a very flat affect or like a very stoic face or robotic demeanor when they're experiencing ddd and so that might disguise how much pain these people are actually in making it again harder for professionals or for family and friends to help and it's not uncommon for patients with ddd to wonder if it mattered if they lived or died because they feel dead already so ddd is associated with suicide attempts but because like i said a lot of people who have ddd also have depression and other psychiatric disorders it's not super clear how much of the suicidal ideation or attempts is due to DDD itself or something else going on. Most people do have remission of their symptoms over time, whether they just go away on their own or because they're appropriately treated. So let's talk a little bit about these treatments now. For a patient who is found to have DDD without any other additional diagnoses, so without a known diagnosis of depression or anxiety first line treatment is psychotherapy and there are many different types of psychotherapy the first line suggestion for ddd is something called cognitive behavioral therapy so this focuses on helping people to cognitive understanding their own thoughts so this is like normalizing what they're thinking and feeling and then behavior is to kind of help modify their response to their own thoughts. If you do also have depression or anxiety, then you should still absolutely do psychotherapy, but you can also take a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor or SSRI. And if these don't lead to any improvement, then there are other medication options. I won't get into every possible medication, but there's lots of other antidepressant and then antipsychotic medications that you can try that might be effective in treating these symptoms. Something that I think is super interesting that has been found to be helpful is hypnosis. So people who don't respond well to CBT, some have been found to respond well to being hypnotized. There's not any clinical trial to see exactly how like efficacious hypnosis is, but there is some evidence that maybe it is, which I think is really cool. Then if your treatment is resistant to all of the things I mentioned, so psychotherapy and all of the possible medications, maybe even hypnosis. You can also try something called transcranial magnetic stimulation or TMS, which basically uses a magnet to affect the electrical current in your brain and has been shown to have some improvement in these symptoms for people. So we covered a lot today and I hope you learned something about DDD. I will link studies I cited and some mental health resources in the info here in case you want to learn more. Diagnosing based on social media can be a slippery slope and people learn a lot about themselves online and sometimes that might be learning a name for symptoms you've been experiencing, which is amazing. 
other times, it might be a little bit confusing. No matter what it is you're seeing online that makes you think you have a certain mental illness, I encourage you to seek medical attention if you genuinely think you have any type of diagnosis based on what you're seeing. But also, if what you're seeing is kind of vague traits that you're told are due to a mental illness, I encourage you to take a step back and just think a little bit more critically before you diagnose yourself with something based off what random people on TikTok tell you. I think DDD is an especially interesting condition because I don't think that it's increasing in prevalence, but I do think that, you know, people are thinking that they have it based on what they're being told on social media. But I also think that even though social media is, you know, kind of branded as something that connects us and sometimes it does connect people to one another, I know it often can create feelings of isolation. And I think that sometimes people feel disconnected from others because of that social isolation that comes out of social media. And that feeling of disconnection might sometimes be misperceived by people as kind of these depersonalization, derealization symptoms. So that's just my opinion. But anyways, if you listen to this episode, thank you so much. If you have any follow-up questions or any recommendations for topics that I can cover in the future, please message me at Media Podcast, M-D-I-A Podcast on TikTok or Instagram or email me at mediapodcast at gmail.com.